I would like to begin this morning with an excerpt from a preacher named James Emery White. He said this, Alex Rodriguez admitted he took performance-enhancing drugs from 2001 to 2003. ESPN's Peter Gammon sat down with him for a discussion about God and sin, although they may not have known it. First, they addressed sin. A-Rod said he felt pressure to take the illegal drugs. He said the culture was loose. He was young, he was stupid, and he was sorry for doing it. What exactly was he guilty of? He said he was guilty of negligence, naivety, and asking the wrong questions. In other words, he was guilty of anything but intentional wrong. When he was asked about whether he had at least lied in an earlier interview with Katie Couric when she asked him if he used steroids, human growth hormones, or other performance-enhancing substances, which he definitely denied, he said, at the time, I wasn't even being truthful with myself. How was I going to be truthful with Katie or CBS? Then they discussed God. When asked about the media frenzy that was swirling around him, the revelation that he took steroids, his recent divorce from his wife of 13 years, and the tabloid reports of an affair with Madonna, he said, I think God has a reason for everything. He believed that somehow God was tied uh, up in him taking drugs, getting divorced, and having an affair. So, who are we when we sin, according to Alex Rodriguez? Apparently, we are not sinners at all. We are mistakers, victims, people who need to do better, and who is God? Someone who is involved in those mistakes, someone who, for whatever reason, let it let us make them, or has us make them so that some great plan for our life can unfold. Uh, according to him, God helps us sin and leads us into it so that something special can happen. Now, he says, I don't have any issue with Rodriguez. I'm not a, a Red Sox fan. He's certainly not the only one who thinks uh, this way about God and sin. But Philip Yancey writes uh, of, of being contacted by a television producer about the death of Princess Diana to appear on a show and explain how God could possibly allow such a tragic accident. He said to the producer, could it have, have something to do with a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour in a narrow tunnel? Then he added, how exactly was God involved? Good question. He notes that when boxer Ray, Ray Mancini killed a Korean opponent in a match, he said in a press conference, Sometimes I wonder why God does the things he does. Then he mentions a, a letter to a Christian family therapist in which a young man told of a, uh, a young woman told of dating a man and becoming pregnant. She, she wanted to know why God allowed that to happen to her. Finally, he writes about when South Carolina mother Susan Smith, Smith pushed her two sons into a lake to drown. In her official confession, she blamed an imaginary carjacker for the deed. She said that she went running after the car and sped down the ramp, screaming, Oh God, no, why did you let this happen? Yancey then asks a, a pivotal question. What exactly was the role God played in a boxer pummeling his opponent, a teenager abandoning her virtue, and a mother drowning her children? None. God is often blamed for the things that he didn't do. We have to quit focusing on ourselves and molding into whoever we want to justify our actions. Instead, we need to look at who God is, who he really is, not who we want him to be or who we try to make him out to be to justify our behaviors and our, our issues, but who is God? And, and looking into the Bible, uh, what qualities can we find about him? 
And so I want to tell you a story this morning, a story that most people probably already know, the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah and the whale. Um, he lived in a, in, three days in the, in the belly of a fish, or a, uh, many people say a whale. Um, but there's, there's so much to this story. It's not just about that. We look so much at the context of the story and get lost in those details. And uh, could that have really happened? And how did it happen? And, and where's the evidence behind this? We, we look so much at the, at the context, we forget about the content in the story. There's actually a, a purpose behind the story and a meaning behind the story. See, Jonah was arrogant uh, and selfish, or at least appears to be that way. And, and this story says a lot about how we would follow God and how we could obey God or like Jonah, choose to disobey. Um, but instead of talking about how we will follow God and make the story all about us, I, I want to look at the qualities of God that shine in the story. I feel led to preach about who God is because our faith is not always as strong as we'd like it to be. Uh, we have uh, questions and we have doubts and we have fears. And, and, and through all of those things, uh, our faith may grow if we're more focused on who God is and less about who we are. See, our faith, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, is not about us, but our faith is uh, in in God. And so the object of our faith is God. So if we want to uh, really follow through with that and, and understand what that means, then we need to have a better idea of who God is. And so let's look in, in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to go through uh, parts of all four chapters in the book of Jonah. So if you want to follow along, you can open your Bibles to, to the book of Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And, and so Jonah was running from God's command. God told him to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, that there was a lot of evil there. And so he, he went, to, uh, uh, went to the port and got on a ship to go uh, basically as far away as he could possibly go, the furthest, uh, furthest place west that he, he knew of. Uh, and so God sent a storm when he was on the ship, and, and he told the crew that uh, he knew he was doing something wrong, and if they would only throw him overboard then they would be saved. And they didn't want to, but he finally convinced them this is what has to happen. And so they threw him over, and the storm stopped. And then verse 17 says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And and again, I think people get stuck on this right here of, well, he lived in the belly of a fish. I've never heard of anything like that. The first quality that we can find from God here is God is patient. I mean, think about what he actually did here. Instead of allowing Jonah to, to drown and die and, and just go and use someone else. I mean, he could, I mean, God could find whoever he wanted to, to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. Instead of doing that, uh, he showed patience. In the second chapter, Jonah describes how he is weak and basically let his life fall into a pit. And he then declares that God brought his life from the pit, and from now on he will live for God. I just wonder how often we feel that way, feel like we're, we're trapped in a pit. Maybe we feel like we're just stuck, we're, we're in a rut. Um, maybe we feel like we're actually doing a lot, but we're not going anywhere. Uh, maybe we feel like we're just, we're just down, and, and there's just no way up. 
Jonah seemed to feel that way. He he was stuck in a pit. I mean, just imagine that that imagery of being of being down in something that you can't get yourself out of. That's how he felt. But he said God got him out of it. So from now on, he's going to do what God tells him to do. We'll see if that plays out. Verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I, I love I love reading that, just being able to say uh, vomit from, from a sermon. It's kind of fun. But anyway, as great as God is, is, is shown to be through his control in the situation of control of the weather, control of the fish, I think there's something that we're going to find that's even better. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So far, so good. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The second thing I see here, again, is not about Jonah, not about the people, but who is God? God is powerful. I mean, the, this is true power here. This is, this is life-changing, meaningful power uh, that we can even see today in our lives. I mean, controlling nature is big. God has control over a lot. But I think what matters here is we see that God can use whoever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, to get whatever he wants. Now, that's power. And that, that matters to us today because we can see how he worked in someone's life. But it's nothing new. It was it was always the case throughout the Bible. God chose to use people who eh, they didn't seem like the ideal candidate uh, for the for the job. We wouldn't pick these people uh, to do what God asked them to do. The uh, Shane Claiborne, an, an author, he said he said it like this: the great paradox and humor of God's audacious power. A stuttering prophet will be the voice of God. A barren old lady will become the mother of a nation. A shepherd boy will become their king, and a homeless baby will lead them home. God is powerful. We can see him work in our lives if we would begin to look. The story goes on, chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, just a quick paraphrase. The king humbles himself and declares that all the people should do the same. They're, stopping, they're, they're supposed to stop doing evil and turn to God, and so that maybe he will, and it says that they want him to relent, and with compassion turned from his fierce anger so that they will not perish. And so we get to our to get to our next point, we look back at we could look back at Jonah's prayer in chapter two. I skipped over it. Um, but instead, I, I want you to see how it plays out. So chapter three, verse ten. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we learn that God is patient. Uh, we've seen how God is powerful, and now we see that God is merciful. Our God is a God of second chances. The people of Nineveh repented, and God decided to let them live. In Jonah's prayer, uh, he says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down, kind of like that same imagery of being in a pit, the earth, I sank down the earth beneath, barred me, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. God was merciful with the people from Nineveh, but God was also merciful towards Jonah, uh, the perceived evil people. 
as well as the so-called righteous. Both need God's mercy. And, and look how it's given. Look at this illustration again. I sank down, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up. How about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How about our own death? Uh, or, or the imagery of baptism, going down, getting, uh, going down into uh, dying. I mean, dying, uh, getting rid of the, the, the bad, not, not, a, not by our own uh, accord, but from what Jesus did, and then being raised to new life. The gospel of Jesus was being shared well before Jesus arrived. In this story, we actually get a picture of, of, of uh, the gospel of Jesus. The idea of God being uh, powerful and patient and merciful all point to the gospel of, of who he is and all point to the opportunity of life change, but even more of the hope of new life. And, and now we come to the final chapter in this book. Um, if I were Jonah, I would have probably written the first three chapters. Um, I, I wouldn't want any more than that written about me. And I would just throw, throw that last chapter away. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Uh, if this book were all about Jonah, and it was to try to make him look good for what he did, that he disobeyed God and then he obeyed God, uh, chapter four would not be in here. Um, and so pretty much I think we would want this chapter to not exist, except for the fact that it points us to the most important idea about who God is. So chapter, the first eight verses of chapter four, Jonah tells God that he's angry because he didn't, he didn't want God to relent. He actually wanted God to destroy the Ninevites. And I think this points to some of the attitudes that, that maybe I, I see around today. Uh, this idea of, would you rather someone have immediate justice, or would you rather them change their ways and repent and, and life change for those people? I, I, think, I think a lot of people that we, that we know, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe some people who are hearing this today, uh, you would rather, there's, there's certain groups whether it be uh, groups of, of terrorists or um, I, I don't really know who and I don't want to, to guess, but where you would say, I, I want those people to, to be destroyed. I, I don't want those people to be on this earth. I don't want what they, uh, what they stand for uh, or what they believe. Um, so I, I, I wish God would just wipe them out. That's not who God is. That, that's not a desire that we should have. We should look to everyone and, and regardless of what they've done to other people, we should want them to repent. That's the heart of God, and that's, that's what it means to deny ourselves, even when we have a selfish desire or selfish interest, or even, even uh, just that we want to be the judge. It doesn't work that way. And so that's what's going on here. Jonah has that same attitude. He wants immediate justice. He asks God, in, uh, or God asks him in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? And, and the answer is, is no. And so Jonah went outside the city, he sat down facing it, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. It was like he was pouting and also kind of hoping that God would still destroy it. And God then provided a plant, and he made it grow over Jonah and gave him shade. And so that was good for Jonah. But the next day, God provided a worm to chew up the plant, and it killed it, caused it to wither. Uh, and the heat caused so much discomfort towards Jonah that he wished that he, he would die. He wanted to die. Uh, and then the story picks up here in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the, that plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. 
But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This, this is the attitude of, of God. He has concern even for the people who Jonah looks at and says, Oh, those people are, are evil and they're horrible. And yeah, they're not following God. And maybe we can look around and we see people who we think, and it would just be better if they weren't around. That's not the Christian attitude. That's not the heart of God. See, we learn that God is patient and powerful and merciful. And from this chapter, God is loving to all. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to be saved, but God wants everyone to be saved. We know that from 2 Peter 3, 9. This includes love for Jonah, uh, even someone who, who is self-righteous. This includes love, the, the love for the lost, the people of Nineveh. All these qualities of God, if you look at, if you really think about them, the patience, uh, the power, uh, the mercy, the love, all of these are qualities that draw us towards him. Uh, we can look at, at, at qualities of other leaders and maybe people who have tried to uh, uh, force people to them, but instead, God's heart brings us towards him. Eugene Peterson said, Jonah's sulking disappointment came from a failure of imagination, a failure of heart. He had no idea what God was doing, the largeness of his love and mercy and salvation. He had reduced his vocation to his own performance. He was in the right place, doing the right thing, but he interpreted everything through his Jonah ideas, his Jonah desires. See, knowing who God is would have been the solution uh, for Jonah in, in following him. Knowing who God is can help us to grow in our faith and understanding who God is, his patience and his mercy and his power and his love. These are things that would help us to be more, more confident in our faith, to trust who we are following. You know that, that God is patient with you through your, through your selfishness. You know that God is powerful in spite of your weakness. You know that God is merciful even through your sinful nature. I believe most importantly, we know that God is loving to all. That includes if you're a, a servant of God, like Jonah. It includes if you're living a wicked lifestyle, like those in, in Nineveh. And, and uh, I'm going to assume that you're like me. Sometimes you feel like you're a servant of God. You feel more like Jonah in the story. But there's other times when you feel pretty wicked. Uh, the wrong attitude, the wrong words, the wrong actions. And to think... God loves us the same throughout. To wake up one day and, and to do everything that you think God should uh, God wants you to do. Uh, you, you say the right things, you love people, you, you're selfless. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a great day. And you, you think, wow, God has to be happy. He is. You think, God, God really loves me. He does. And then the next day you wake up and, and you, you don't really say the right things to your to your spouse or to your kids and you have a bad attitude at work and you didn't do anything that you thought would have been pleasing to God. And eh, maybe maybe God's not as happy. But does he love me the same? Absolutely. That's the love of God. These, these qualities don't change because we change. We might change daily. We might change by the minute and by the hour. Uh, but we have to remember that God is always the same, a perfect, loving Father. It's not about who, he, who we are, it's about who he is, a loving God. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for being who you are. Uh, thank you for revealing yourself uh, throughout your word um, that we can understand um, more, uh, uh, more about you. And thank you so much for sending Jesus to show us uh, what, what it's really about, um, to understand some of the things that maybe were, were confusing. Uh, you sent the perfect example. Uh, you, you came in and took on the flesh and showed us what it means uh, to live a life, uh, not just serving you, but knowing and understanding who you really are. And so I pray for each of us that we would grow more and more every day in, in our knowledge of you, um, but also in our love and obedience toward you. Thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.